0: And I would ask myself, does this bring me closer to my goal or does this, or is this a distraction that's getting in the way and distracting my focus from my goal? It was a moment of, is this it? Like, is this what I've been working for and what we've been working for? Because it doesn't feel that great. And then I think the louder I talked, it was basically showing more fear and kind of convincing myself that I'm really not afraid, but inside you're scared to death. But yeah, I mean, I took him through college and then that was it. After college, I I had gotten off of them because the testing in the NFL had just started with the steroids probably a year or two prior and it was a lot more elaborate than college was. How much of that strength is really there, their mindset when it's adverse? Because when the money's flowing and everybody's healthy, anybody can be happy.
1: Hey guys, and welcome back to the I Love Success podcast. You know, before we get started, I just want to say thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, I'm just super grateful that I have listeners from all over the world that are, you know, aspiring for greatness and want to create something cool in their lives. I'm all about dreaming. I've been dreaming since I was a kid and I love dreaming big and actually, you know, going after it. And I feel like we're building a community of, of people that not, not only dream, but we put action, we make it, you know, tangible, we go after those big goals and, and slowly, slowly we, we get closer and closer. And I mean, all you got to do is start. I started with this podcast like 4 or 5 years ago now and this is episode 211. You know, I'm I've been talking to yeah, the the coolest and most amazing people in the world and I'm just happy that I I'm able to share that with you. So thank you guys for being here and you know, I'm super excited for this week's episode. I've been you know trying to get a hold of Tony for I think it's three or four years now. And when I launched my book here in the US, he was actually helping me promoting it without even knowing me, uh, which is kind of, you know, a testament of like a good human being that, you know, he he can see and he knows what goal settings is all about. And he wanted to help, uh, you know, share my book, which, which I'm super grateful for. Uh, but we're not here to talk about me today. So we're talking about a man here today that always aspired for greatness. And he firmly believes that in order to do extraordinary things, you have to be willing to break the rules and go where others won't. I mean, in April 1989, yeah, that's 1989, when I was four years old, Tony Mandrich was on the cover of Sports Illustrated with the title, The Incredible Bulk Tony Mandarich, the best offensive line prospect ever, and I'm I'm sure he's tired of hearing that because that being quoted over and over again <laughs> during his life. Uh, but I mean, you should Google uh, Google that and look at the you know the cover. It's it's a very cool cover, and you know uh, you see you can see what you know Tony was about you know for his 31 years uh, now. And he was the second player selected in the 1989 NFL draft. And he played football for seven seasons. And now he's working with his passion as a professional photographer in Scottsdale, Arizona. And you know, one of the main reasons that I want to speak with Tony is because he's had a lot of ups and downs. He's had a lot of wins and losses. So I, I think we can learn a lot from this human being. So Welcome, Tony Mandarich, to the I Love Success podcast.
0: Peter, thanks for having me, my friend. Finally.
1: (laughs) Finally, you know, and never give up, right? That's right. That's right. Can we just talk about, you know, you've been saying that you aspired for greatness since you were a kid. Do you remember like that first moment in your life where you're like, hey, I, I want something big out of my life?
0: You know, I do. I've referred to to this specific story um, many times because it was such a turning point in my life. Um, And and this will tie in actually to your book a little bit because I'm a very strong believer that putting pen or pencil to the paper is very powerful, and I've been doing it since I was a little kid. And I didn't, it's not like I remember learning it from somebody or I don't remember anybody telling me to do that. I just did it. And for some reason, because it makes it tangible, it makes it real. It makes it more real to me than if you were to put it in a, like a word document on your phone. Yeah. It makes it more real than typing that. So at 11 years old, I had made a career decision. And if you you know, next time you're out and you're around kids and you ask their age and you see what 11 year old, like at what level they are, like in, as far as what's important in their life, um, you'll be surprised that even I'm surprised, like that at that age that I chose to make a career decision. And what, in saying that, I don't say it that I made this great, you know, thing. It's just I don't know why at such a young age. Maybe it's because I just had such a passion for football. And, you know, born and raised in Southern Ontario and Canada, we were 45 minutes from Buffalo and about three hours from Detroit. And it, it, there wasn't a ton of stations, there wasn't NFL network, and there wasn't, you know, NFL ticket. So we would get the Detroit Lions and Buffalo Bills or maybe the Giants in New York on TV. And I would watch you know, those games on Sundays, I would watch college games on Saturdays, and on Monday night you'd have Monday night football, and then that was it till the next week, next weekend. Now it's a lot more. But I can I only think back and, and imagine that my passion for the, for the game then was so strong, um, and it has remained strong. Um, I'm a huge football fan, I love watching football, uh you know this year is kind of interesting with the with the pandemic and everything that's going on to watch football without fans in the stadium some stadiums do have some fans but it, it's very interesting I never thought I'd see something like that in my lifetime but uh at 11 I put that pen to the paper or the pencil to the paper and and wrote out really my goals on what I wanted to be like I wrote the end game which was to play in the NFL and but it's really like, okay, what are all the steps to get there? And I didn't have the answer to a lot, a lot of that. It's like what I assumed. And then I would ask my big brother, he's five years older. So he guided me to a certain degree on, you know, at 11 years old, the most important thing is not the weight room. It's, you know, cause you're still developing as a, as a growing child, really more or less. So, I played a lot of soccer, did a lot of stuff like that. As far as physical fitness goes, a lot of it was more of it was plyometrics and jumping and pushups and chin ups and all that stuff. It wasn't until I got 15 or 16 until I started the weights, but it was 11, was like that, that mark that I remember where it was like, this is what I want to do. And then it was just a matter of, it wasn't a question of whether I wanted to do it or how bad I wanted to do it. I was just like, no, this is what I'm gonna do. I just got to do the right things and then get a get some luck, you know. As the years go by, you know, not to get hurt um, and and have some things that are out of your control happen. So it was, and and really, you know, I don't want to say every decision I made from 11. To 21 or 22 when I got drafted was based on the fact of getting to that next level. But any major decision in my life at that time was based on getting to the next level. And I would ask myself, does this bring me closer to my goal, or does this, or is this a distraction that's getting in the way and distracting my focus from my goal? Um, but that was more, you know, with major decisions.
1: I love that. And and do you recall, you know, playing football and, you know, between 11 and 21, when you got drafted, like, how was that journey? Was that an enjoyable journey or did you put a lot of pressure on yourself?
0: I absolutely loved it. Uh, I, I've always enjoyed the process. Even up till today, I'm almost 54 years old. I'll be 54 years old tomorrow. But even up to today, in anything, it seems like in anything I do in my life that is important to me. I love the process way more than the end game. Um, I love the preparation and the end game I still appreciate and I still enjoy it. And I'll acknowledge it when it's over. And then I'll be like, kind of like, okay, what's next next to to do? A lot of people will look at that as a you know, your mind's never stopped dressed. You know, your mind never stops and, and you're, you got to give yourself a break. And it's like there's a lot of downtime during a day and during a night. So just because somebody's in, in pursuit of a certain goal or they have their, you know, eye and, and or, or goals, whether it's business or sports related, doesn't matter what it is, set on something. If you start to lose track of time, you know, you're doing the right thing that's kind of been one of my acid tests that if like in photography, if I'm doing a test photo shoot where I'm testing out lighting on a, you know, for portrait or for or some kind of certain lighting that I want to look at um, on a model. And if I like, there's been times I've looked at my watch and it's been like two in the morning and we started at like, say 5.00 PM but you just lose track of time because you're so involved in the lighting and, and the wardrobe and the whole creative part of it and input from the other person because they're a creative. Um, and, 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 you know, how much, how important details matter, like the sum of all the details matter so much. So. It's
1: unbelievable, you know, and I see that with, you know, a lot of successful people. It's like, and what's next? You know, I love this, but what's next? And I think it's it might not be a bad thing because you know we see this when people retire. Especially, we're probably going to talk about your retirement later. But it's people have it's almost like a part of you dies. You know, and you have to if you stay in that mindset, you'll just you know start dying. So you need to grow. You need to start doing other things. When did you realize, Tony, that you can become really good at football? I, was there a moment? Was it a coach? Like, how did you realize, like, hey, I can really play in the NFL? Because there's so many millions of kids out there now dreaming of playing in the NBA, the NFL, or the UFC, or right. uh, or whatever. But there's actually few that does it.
0: Right. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a great question. It's interesting because... Um, on one of my social media accounts, um, uh, I have a post ready to go for today or tomorrow that basically, pretty much paraphrasing, it basically says, The moment you let doubt creep into your mind, you've already been defeated. And that to me is true because when I have let doubt creep in, I right then and there, I'm done. It may not look like I'm done. But I've already started to, and I don't want to overuse that phrase, self-sabotage, but I've already started that self-sabotage cycle. And so it for me, it was, you know, for many years, I identified as a football player, but I'm really not, I mean, I'm Tony, I'm not a football. I mean, I played football, right? Yeah. It was maybe, I guess you could say it was part of my identity at one time. It's something I did, it's something I acknowledge, it's something that I cherished. It's something that for me today, I look at as a, uh, I look at it and acknowledge it as a dream come true as a kid. But today I even look at it more so that it was a really a platform for today being set up to be able to carry whichever message I'm supposed to carry. And, you know, for me, there's a lot of it about adversity. There's a lot of it about sobriety. Um, But it doesn't just, it's not just sobriety. I mean, that's a big part of my story. Without my sobriety, I wouldn't be here. That's the most important thing in my life. Um, Because everything derives from that. As soon as I pick up a drink or a drug, nothing else matters. Because I can't, I'm not capable of keeping a job. I'm not capable of being employed. I'm not capable of being responsible um, and it's it's just a, it's not a good place to be a, an al- an active alcoholic or, or a drug addict to be in, in sobriety. And there's many ways to sobriety mine happen to be through 12 steps, but there's many ways to sobriety. Um, so I carry that message, but I also carry that message of adversity. And I carry the message also of even before I became um you know, dependent on chemicals, I was 11 years old and I had a dream and I knew I could play. I knew I could play. And it was just a matter of also kind of what I mentioned earlier. I knew I could play, but I also have to have some luck with not getting hurt. And I, uh, you know, I, I had luck with being in the right system at Michigan State because it was a running system or running the football. And that was my strength versus pass blocking. So a lot of variables, as you know, you know, being an athlete, there's so many variables involved that people don't know about yeah. unless you're in it. And there are so many things that matter and, and so many things have to go right. But that's what we discussed about the little details. Yeah. You do all the details correctly, the sum of them add up to a great, solid foundation. And I'll always use the, you know, the example or metaphor of, The spokes in a wheel of a bike each spoke is a detail and you can have 100 spokes and have a strong foundation and you can remove three or four of those details and the bike is the wheel is still fine but it's not as strong but then as time goes on if you remove three or four more and then more and then more and it becomes weak and it crumbles so the detail you know matters and 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 i just I always knew. I mean, I, I, there's stories about running on the track with my brother um, when I was in high school and he was in college, and he like literally yelled at me one time when we were coming around a corner. We were we were running two well, we would call then 220s which are like 200 meters. So we'd start on a curve, finish on the back end straight away, and then we'd walk the curve to the start straight away. And then we'd run another, you know, run them. So we'd end up running 16. As, as camp got closer, we ran more of them with less time rest. But he would yell at me if I, if I, on the walk part, if I walked like pigeon toed, he'd always say, keep your toes in because when you're running, you're grabbing, right, with your toes and stuff. That's such a small detail. But, if you take a step back and look at that detail that wasn't when i was in high school i practiced that detail for the next five years and with the combine coming up in my after my fifth year of college i had went and saw the michigan state track coach because i knew they were going to run a 40 at the combine so I was like, I know how to run as a football player. I need to run as a sprinter for 40 yards just for this one day. So I need to learn these little techniques that sprinters use. And that, you know, I ended up running like a 4.6.5, 464, 40 at 308 pounds. It shaved probably a tenth of my 40 time faster, which in essence, it was probably worth millions of dollars Yeah, because it got blown up to... Here's a guy that's 308 and can run this fast, you know. And a lot of people will say, "Well, it was just, it was a steroid." Well, yeah, you know what? Part of it was the steroids. But if everybody could run fast, it took steroids, we'd have a lot of fast people, yeah. Right? If it was if it was that simple, and and I'm not saying that people should use steroids. Uh, if anything, I'm saying that they should. Um, but all like that's a spoke in the wheel. Now you multiply that by a hundred. And that's when you start to see people like flourish at whatever they're doing. And then I can't imagine what people like Michael Jordan and people like, you know, like Wayne Gretzky and people that are like, even the, above the cream of the crop people, like they're on their own, like Lawrence Taylor, you know, um, as, as much off the field problems as he's had, when he was on the field, That guy was incredible. I mean, just absolutely incredible. As with Reggie White, you know, Um, fortunately, but sometimes I say unfortunately, sometimes I say fortunately, I got to play against Reggie White more than once. And it's an experience. Um, You talk about a a show of force and strength and um, just a great, you know, a great human being and uh, a great football player.
1: I'm 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 curious though. Like when you're 1989, you know, you just got drafted drafted as the second pick. Like, what is? Can you just explain? Try to go back to that moment. What are you feeling? Like, how 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 did that feel? The answer is going to shock
0: you. I think um, I was in the stands. Uh, Green Bay had, had flown us out to um, Green Bay, Wisconsin, so they held their draft at Lambeau. In the stadium, and Dallas had already told the media that they were going to take Troy Aikman, and then Green Bay said, "If they take Troy, we're going to take uh, Tony." So they flew me out. It was kind of like, you know, anticlimactic because we knew, right? And uh, but and it was an honor. I mean, to be drafted, it's like if you think about it, you're 21, 22 years old. Ten years ago, you made a decision. And now it's like really become true. And, and, it, and it wasn't to be drafted and it wasn't just to play. It was to be like the best I could be. Yeah. And, and then obviously continue at a high level, which you know, didn't happen obviously in the NFL. Even, even when I had my comeback, I played very well, but I was by no means a pro bowler. Um, but that day was a letdown. And it was not a letdown because of the Green Bay Packers. It wasn't a letdown for any other reason than my expectation and my perception of what it was going to be like was totally different than what it actually was. And it could have been in Chicago. It could have been in Miami. It could have been in Oakland Raiders. It could have been San Diego. doesn't matter where. And if you really think about it Green Bay with all the tradition I mean that's one of the coolest places to get drafted and I was you know young arrogant you know talked a lot of smack talked a lot of smack because I wanted to get the you know biggest contract I could get and and, you know do all these things I said I was going to do but that day was a letdown. I remember sitting in the stands with my brother that day because they were doing some photos outside. And, you know, the Lambeau field was empty. Yeah. And I I looked at my brother and I said, this is like, is this it? Like, is this? Like, it wasn't even like one of those moments of, is this really happening? Like, it's so incredible because I've had moments like that. Even up till a month ago, I've had moments like that, of whatever it may be. it was a moment of is this it like is this what i've been working for and what we've been working for because it doesn't feel that great and so it was a letdown for me because of my expectation i think and my perception
1: it's crazy you know and that has happened to me a lot of times too because you build up all this perception that it has to be in a certain way and you put so much pressure and then. When it finally happens, you realize, hey, you know, wasn't that cool? <laughs> it's not that glamorous. <laughs> I, I think that the the problem is. Uh, correct me if I wrong. I'm wrong. This is what happens to people like us that sometimes put too much pressure, and you know, we're we're always we're been chasing something for so long. It's almost like <sighs> instead of like hell yes, right. Um, no, that's
0: true. But I can say that. There were plenty of hell yeses along the way. Yeah. But the pinnacle goal, which was achieved, was kind of like, a, it's yeah. not as exciting. I, like, I wasn't mature enough to look back and say, I enjoyed the process yeah. more than the actual event. But I was also at a point where I was just going to start getting, or I should say falling off the cliff with yeah. chemical abuse and you know it hadn't started yet but it was about to start and you know i you know just played had a horrible career in green bay uh and was you know was out of the league after four years um and then i was out of the league three years after that yeah so i was lucky to get a chance to come back and play with indianapolis um sober for three years and uh and and so that to me, that comeback, yeah, oh, that was a hell yes. Yeah, way I more than draft day.
1: Yeah,
0: I bet. Because and I, mean, I think that was harder yeah. to do than get drafted second overall. I mean, much harder, I think. Yeah, I, I I believe it was, but I knew it could be done. Yeah. So I was I knew what I had to do to work. To like footwork and and drills and stuff like that, eat right, do all these things, get plenty of sleep. but like that to me was it like carries way more value in my heart than being the second player taken or being on the cover of SI or whatever you know the case may be.
1: Do you think that you know did that put pressure on you? did that affect your mind? Because I, I, I've i watched a lot of interviews with you. And if you look at like you, when you were like 30 years ago, basically, like you were cocky, you were like, uh, like a lot of athletes, I recognize that in myself because we're, we're trying to sell our own bullshit to our own mind. Right. Exactly. I did that for so many years. And then like, I like myself more now when I'm not competing because I don't have to tell everybody else a lot of bullshit to believe it myself do you recognize that or like absolutely
0: i i i you know i was full of fear i was full of fear because of now i had to live up to these expectations about what i said i was going to live up to yeah um the interesting thing is When I set up my expectations to to become an All-American in college and to become the best football player I could be as an offensive lineman in college, uh, I really kept it to myself, and I kept it to like maybe my really tight-knit close circle. And I wasn't really talking a lot of smack to the media about it. So I I stayed laser-focused. And when I got, obviously, as I got drafted and got closer to, draft day. Um, I almost want to say that, you know, go back to that old cliche of I started believing some of my own press. And and then I think the louder I talked, it was basically showing more fear and kind of convincing myself that I'm really not afraid, but inside you're scared to death. Yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, when when did you decide to to start taking steroids and and why why did you decide to do that?
0: Um, my first the first cycle of steroids I ever took was in the last month of high school, so it was like May before graduation. I had already received a scholarship uh, for Michigan State and was already you know going to go there, but I couldn't get over this hurdle of three hundred fifteen pound bench. Um, which by today's standards, your average high school football player that's close to 280 or 300 pounds is benching 315 probably multiple times, if not 400. Uh, But I could not bench 315. I could do 295 five times, but I couldn't do 315. And 315 are three big 45-pound plates. So I think it was a psychological thing. So I had gotten on a a dose of very like pretty – I mean, they worked, but compared to a lot of other steroids, they were on the lower end of potency and and risk. And in a matter of two weeks, I benched 315 a couple times. So it was like, obviously these work. And if this is my goal and I'm laser focused, and if this works, this will be part of, at that time was a spoke in the wheel. But really, it was a bad spoke. It was a spoke that was already rusted, and it was going to just deteriorate. Um, and and then I, you know, I took him through college. I, I think a lot of people have this assumption that I took more than I probably actually did because the story just got so big. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean I took him through college and then that was it. After college I was I, I had gotten off of them because the testing in the NFL had just started with the steroids probably a year or two prior and it was a lot more elaborate than college was. And college really didn't test you unless you went to a mo- uh, major bowl game.
1: And how how was the internal dialogue with yourself during those years like how how did it make you feel? Did did you worry about that? Or was that, did you feel like a cheater? Or did did you, were you just focused on your goal? Like what was the like mind mind conversation?
0: You know, I mean this, I mean, this will sound weird. This will sound to some people, it probably sounds sick. Um I didn't feel like I was a cheater, although I was cheating. The rule said, do not, you know, in the NCAA, you cannot take steroids. Did I take steroids? Yes. Does that make me a cheater? Yes, absolutely. That's common sense. I rationalized it in my head. And I was like, well, you're a cheater if you get caught. Right? So that's all rationalization. That's all BS. Right? That's like, you know, you might as well start digging your own grave at that point. But I felt that, you know, it was necessary To do this to get to that next level, which it's not necessary to do, Um, I was influenced by some of the teams of the 1970s in the NFL. Um, You know, and I don't want to name any, I've named them before, but I don't want to name any teams. But they were obviously, you know, steroids were more, I think, obvious then. Um, There was no phrase of performance enhancing drugs, although they're pretty much the same thing. Um, you can break them down into hormones versus steroids versus, you know, synthetic this or, or, uh, blood doping in certain sports or whatever the case may be. But I think there's a big misconception also, and, and I'm not defending steroids in this, but there's a big misconception with a lot of people that think you take steroids and you just get strong and ripped and, and you've got to do the work. Yeah. You've got to do the work regardless.
1: I mean, some even, some even uh, suggest that they want to allow, you know, stero- just make it legal because every, right. not everybody, I'm, but a lot of people are, are doing it anyways. I mean, I'm, my personal opinion is that I'm against it, but it's, it's an interesting thought, right?
0: Yeah, it is.
1: And, and, you know,
0: you know, I could answer, I, like, I qualify to be able to answer the question about the ask. But I still don't know the answer to it, and because I debate it, and I'm like, and I and I really am sure not to be rationalizing it. But the question really is: is do steroids make you a better football player? Yeah. Do steroids make you a better volleyball player? Do steroids make you a better hockey player? Do steroids make you a better what? Do steroids make you stronger? Absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: But I knew a lot of strong guys that couldn't play football. that were on the football team, but they could never make the starting lineup because of all the other variables involved. So does it make you stronger and bigger and faster? I would say yes. You guys still got to do the work, but I would say yes. Does it make it right to take them if the rules say don't? No, it doesn't make it right. You're cheating. But does it make you a better athlete I don't know the answer to that question because just because you're bigger and stronger and faster, I don't know if that makes you a better athlete, so, you know, and that's where I have to be careful not to rationalize it by saying just because you're faster doesn't mean you can't make a, a faster mistake as an athlete.
1: I know it's a, and a lot of sports have, have a lot of tactics as well involved. Yeah. So it, it's a very interesting conversation. And then, I mean, you got drafted to the NFL Uh, and then you quit overnight basically right yeah and how how did that make your body feel and like when did you start going on painkillers and you know starting like evolving the addiction so to speak
0: you know and i shouldn't say it i shouldn't say i quit like almost overnight but it was like over a three or four month period um which is in the big scheme of things pretty much overnight Yeah. The psychological effects were 10 times stronger than the physical. Yeah. So it hurt my psyche way more than it hurt my, um, okay, now I can't bench press 585 pounds. I can only bench press 525. Yeah. Well, you're still pretty strong. You know what I'm saying? So I can't run a four. If someone says, okay, well, you ran a four six because of the steroids. Okay, so I run a four seven or a four eight at 308. you're still pretty fast. You're faster than an average guy that weighs that much. Yeah. So, but the psyche is affected in my opinion by a tenfold multiplier.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, it makes you think you're weak. It makes you think that, you know, you've already lost a step and it's, and that's that doubt creeping in and that's sabotage immediately. Sabotage, sabotage. And that, I never realized how psychologically powerful that was really until I got sober, um, you know, five years after that. But, uh, it was as, as much as, and everybody knows about, I shouldn't say everybody knows everybody assumes, well, you take steroids, you get big and strong and muscular. Well, that's, you know, that's kind of a stereotype and that's kind of true. Yeah. What they don't realize is the psychological effect is 10 times in, in my opinion, 10 times more impactful, both positively and or negatively. Positively, if you channel it correctly, control it. But if you fly off the handle and you walk around looking for fights, that's not healthy.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in fighting, you know, if, if compare, I, I don't know, football, but I know in fighting, like a lot of times what happens is, you know, it's almost like getting knocked out, you know. When a fighter gets knocked out, now you're gonna see what what him or her is all about because it changes everything, you know. And we see that all the time, yeah. and it's it's very few fighters that come back. It's true. Yeah. I,
0: I, you know, a perfect example of recent modern day is Ronda Rousey. Yeah. And I'm a fan. I mean, I, I'm, I was a fan of hers, and I'm still a fan of hers, even though she doesn't fight anymore. She does the other, the wrestling thing. Yeah. I would say maybe two fights before the fight she got knocked out in. They were talking about her being one of the greatest athletes across the board. Period, like yeah. of any sport. And and I was, you know, I kind of was like, well, that's kind of far fetched. I mean, granted, she is pretty incredible and does look pretty unstoppable, and she had been doing it for. Couple years now, yeah. But you can't compare that with a Michael Jordan, and you can't compare that with like hundreds of other athletes that you could name off of the tip of your tongue. No. And as soon as she showed the chink in the armor, no. she was her biggest adversary. Yeah. Because she didn't believe she could win anymore. Yeah. And other people started to believe she could be beaten. Yeah. And you know, I, mean, I think it was Amanda Nunes really just yeah. kind of put her into retirement. Um, I didn't realize how good Amanda Nunes was. I don't want to fight her. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you no, know, that's like that's a great example of Is
1: that what happened to you? When I you believe went-
0: that that was uh I believe that was. I believe that psychological effect of the steroids coupled with at that same transition period going into a deeper state of my addiction of painkillers and alcohol abuse like that combination. Um, and then having to live up to all this hype and then, but you know what? I created that hype, so I'm accountable for it. So I don't blame anybody. Um, a lot of people don't realize I I never said I was the best offensive lineman ever. Sports Illustrated said that, okay? But, but they put that on you. They put that on me, and that's okay because you know what? If they said that they were going to put that on the cover, I would have said, heck yeah, put it on the cover, right? <laughs> so I'm not going to blame them either. Yeah. Um, but then it didn't happen. You know, I fell on my face. I I, I really... You know, it was a it was an epic fail, and unfortunately, but I can I also say fortunately, it was lived out on the front page of the newspaper, okay. right? Every move, every bad move. Um, but I I signed up for that, so I don't blame anybody. I signed up for that knowing that.
1: But what does that do to a person? That's what I am here like.
0: It makes you um, do one of two things eventually. And this is where it comes down to that week where I got sober. The miracle of sobriety happened. It'll make you do one of two things when it really comes down to what I call nut cutting time. Okay. You're either going to tuck your tail and go into a cave and die. Or you're going to say, no way. You're going to grab the bull by the horns. And you're going to say, I'm going to make this fucking thing happen. Yeah. And no matter what that is, and you like me are wired not to tuck our tail and go into a cave. And it was lucky that I didn't die yet and had that awakening or that awareness that, oh my gosh, what have I done or what haven't I done? And then got myself into treatment March 23rd in 95 in Detroit And was there 17 days? I had no idea like what uh, all I knew was I was going to be detoxed and kind of be taught about, I assumed, again, this was a big uh, stereotype assumption. They're just going to tell me about all the bad things it does to you and how much better life is if you're not drinking and drugging. And then they're going to shake your hand and they're going to say, good luck. Uh, Like little did I know that there was a, you know, a spiritual maintenance program or, you know, a maintenance program. Daily that you kind of have to stay connected if you really want um, good sobriety and You know to carry the message. I mean my ultimate Reason for doing this podcast with you is to carry the message of hope and sobriety and that Anybody can really overcome anything There are so many stories out there of people that have gone through 10 times, 50 times harder, what I would consider harder things than I've gone through. But sometimes people will look at my story and only because it was a lot of publicity and it was like this big rise and then this big fall and then there was a comeback and then the book came out in 2009 and then it talked about all, I just literally was very raw with it and said, this is really what happened. And it explained a lot of things. I took the accountability and to let people know this is what happened. Everybody thought it was just the steroids. Well, that was a spoke in the wheel of the detriment. Most of it was the opioids and the alcohol. And what am I, you know, and what am I, so what am I doing here today? I'm sharing my story with motivation to hide nothing. Why? Uh, I'll yeah. tell you how it was as, it was as miserable as could possibly be living an alcoholic life or a drug addict's life and I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy it's yeah. it's literally living hell um, and but it gave me great perspective also yeah. on you know a lot of people will talk about the little things in life and take the little things and be grateful for the little things. Boy, did it put that in perspective for me. And it there was a huge, you know, paradigm shift in a emotional shift, a spiritual shift after I got sober and after I, you know, did 12 step work, which is basically good. Li- it's good living. If you take the word alcohol or drugs out of those steps, it's just, it's, they're basically 12 kind of rules. You could say, you could write a book called 12 tips of how to live right, you know, If you took that part out, you wouldn't have to be in a a recovery program, but it's just living right. And part of that message and part of that step work for me, and it's part of the step work is carrying that message to other people to let them know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you and share with your listeners that 12 step programs are the only answer because there are people I know that say that, and that's not true. That's the one that worked for me. And I tried hundreds of different ways. But that's the one that worked for me. But I'm also here to say that's not the only way. I I do believe that I'm very strong in believing that abstinence of like any kind of alcohol or drugs is absolutely necessary. You cannot, what I call chipping, you cannot chip on, you know, I'll just have a pill here and a pill there. And it's it's not 70 or 80 I took a day, it's only one or two. That doesn't work because eventually that mind will rationalize itself back up to 30, then 40, then before you know it, you're off and running. Yeah.
1: And you know, there's a lot of young people watching and listening to this that are, you know, they have big dreams in sports, in entrepreneurism, and you know, all of all of different areas that might go through similar thoughts and mindsets that you, you had when you were young, you're like exploding, but on the inside, you have all this pressure on yourself. Like if you could redo it or talk to yourself, to the 21-year-old Tony, like what would you say? Um,
0: I, I would, you know, the, I would really, so like, I don't regret any of it because yeah. it forced me to become who I am today, which, right. I'm a, I like myself who I am today and I have a lot more work to do on who I am to get, to become a better human being. Um, and I've been working now 25 years to become better and and it has happened and, it's, and it is happening, but there's still a lot of work to do. Yeah.
1: Like what
0: all of us. T- or, you know, what I would have said to the 21 year old me or, or anybody Yeah. is something that we touched on earlier very briefly is to keep things very simple any distraction and you know what we could have a listener that wants to be the next great physicist and if distraction gets in your way of your goal you have to stop and that could be a boyfriend a girlfriend it could be going out and partying it could be whatever you consider a distraction if it's distracting you from your end game goal it's a distraction And that's, and the only person that can answer that question is the actual person. And they can say to themselves, is this helping me get to my goal or is this hurting me? Because if it's hurting me, it's a distraction. So, and you know, it's, there's a lot of sacrifices, you know, there's a lot of sacrifice involved. People don't, people that make it don't, you know, an overnight success. There's no such thing. I mean, there's no such thing. Uh, Yeah, overnight success after the 10 years of work that you didn't see the guy from Jeff Bezos doing in Amazon as a one-computer shop, right, in his garage, or, you know, stories like that. Well, they don't talk about all those struggling years and all those years that they never made a penny as they were a public company until now everybody's like, well, Amazon's, you know, all this and all that, and they want to control the world and this. Well, you know what? Uh, Part of that is our responsibility, if we don't want them to, we don't have to buy their stuff. Yeah. You know? So we have a choice too. If we're going to be like, well, we like the convenience and we feed into it, that's on us. But it really getting back to your original question is like it really is it's a not it's a non-glamorous thing. It's really keep it simple. Stay focused. It's things that everybody has already heard and everybody already knows. It's staying focused, keeping that laser focus, keeping your mindset right. And removing being able to recognize a distraction when there is a distraction and know how to handle it and then get back on course or prevent that distraction from happening before it happens if you can start to see it coming and get back on course. And and then, you know, and the other thing is to you have to you have to do the action, you have to work, you have to do those things. Doesn't matter if it's study, run, weightlift whatever the sport, whatever the the end game is of the goal for the person to be one of the greatest entrepreneurs of something, you have to put in the work. And there's so many great self-help books. There's so many great, your book is great. Like I love your book because I definitely, like it's definitely in my stream of how I did it, right? It, It fits in perfectly. And there's so many books that are great books. And then there's a lot of BS books, but there's a lot of great books. And they all share one thing in common, even though they're done different ways. That at the end of the book, you have to do the work that they talked about in the book. Because you can read it 10 times, but if you don't put it into action, it doesn't matter. And that, you know, whether it's fear, whether it's, you know, trying to be perfect. You're never going to be perfect at everything. So, but a lot of times the trying to be a perfectionist will keep you paralyzed from even starting because you don't want to make a mistake. Well, you know, it's like, I'm launching a podcast next week. Uh, I've been kind of mulling it over for a couple of years. So in the last two months I started getting podcasts done. And so we're launching next week. Well, I want it to be perfect yeah. and it's, it's a two week delay. It should have been launched two weeks ago, but I want it to be perfect. And that's the only thing that's been holding it back. Yeah. And over the weekend, yeah. I finally had the realization of, Hey, you know, when you first stepped on the football field, you got your butt beat a lot, you know, and, and you weren't perfect and you were never perfect. You, you rose to a level of playing very well. So it's the same with anything in life. I mean, I'm not going to be this great podcaster that I want to be. And I'm not going to, it's like, you know what? Just be myself. Yeah. Just be myself and do what the podcast was intended to do for the subject matter and just be yourself. And then just like watching film of football games the next day, if you want to listen to it again, reanalyze it, see what you could have done better, do it the next podcast.
1: Yeah. I agree. And I have another question in regards to, you know, uh, how we sometimes see things from the outside. So uh, I can take my life as an example. Sometimes I can think I had this idea of how life should have become and it hasn't become that way. And now I feel like a failure, just like many journalists, you know, quoted and like, had all put all this on you how did you forgive yourself and realize this is just part of the human experience and basically you know whatever happens as long as we can you know face it and learn from it it is it is it is a success it's truly. But people are, unfortunately, people get so depressed, they're taking their lives, they're like ruining relationships just because they had an idea of how something was supposed to be and that didn't happen and they can never get over it. Right.
0: So I struggle with this, um, but I don't struggle with it with a football career. Um, I acknowledge it and I you know I've been years removed now from it, even though, I mean, I retired in 1999, so I retired 22 years ago, but I was drafted 30 years ago. And then it was a four-year stint, then three years out, then three years back, and then done. So getting sober was crucial. And it helped me to take a look at myself, self-evaluate, look at my actions and behaviors. How did I act during adversity? How did I act, which is really the best time to really evaluate yourself. And to figure out how spiritual am I really? How much of a foundation of whatever I my faith or whatever a person believes in, if they believe in anything, how much of that strength is really there? Their mindset when it's adverse, because when the money's flowing and everybody's healthy, anybody can be happy.
1: Anybody can win. I say right. that all the time. It's exactly. easy to win. You
0: know? So it's how the the great measure is how do people, or including myself, react to what's going on today. So the last nine months have been absolutely incredible in that way because I've gotten to see people that have shocked me that I thought were kind of like meek, if you will, just plow through this thing of this pandemic and everything that's going on and they've just been solid. You know, they've just been like, yeah, just what matters is what I do today, that's what matters. Because that's the only thing I can do is what I do today. And then I've seen people that I thought had a great foundation crumble. So it really reveals a lot about a person's character and who they really are. And I think most importantly, it reveals it to that person because it makes you look at yourself and look in the mirror. Um, Did I fail with football at Green Bay? Yes, I did. Did I make a successful comeback? Yes, I did. I'll acknowledge that too. Um, and I'll acknowledge that yes, anything is possible. Like anything is possible. If you're willing to have a plan for me, put things on paper. And you also have to be flexible enough that if that plan's not working to change some of it, because it's not working. So you can't be all rigid that it's gotta be this way. I have to be flexible. My biggest failure is probably in relationships. Um, so that's something that today I have to like what really made me look at myself and my behaviors in relationships. And it's not just a relationship with a partner, like with a girlfriend or maybe you know, vice versa or whatever the case may be, but it's also a relationship that you have with your parents with your kids, with your, you know, uh, extended family. Um, and then with good friends too, that you may not have seen. Um, and I've struck, that's an area that is probably my biggest struggle. Um, although I will say that it's gotten a lot better than it was even six months ago. Um, even a year ago, Uh, Like uh, the growth I've had from a year ago till now in relationships has been, you know, it's been tremendous, but I haven't been in one, but the growth has been incredible. The pain had to be incredible for me to change. So looking back at my whole life, I always had big change when there was big pain, that big emotional pain. That's when I was like, you know what? I can continue to do this this way and continue to get the same failed result, or I can change, um, and not be so rigid on it. it. needs to be this way in a relationship and be more open-minded and more flexible and more, you know, whatever it is, you know, whether it's caring or showing affection or, or whatever the case may be. But that's been, you know, my biggest struggle and, And I've gone through a lot of that pain uh, in this last year, but it's forced me to do what we've talked about this whole time, to look at myself. What behaviors have I had? What have I played in this? Because I don't look at being almost 54 years old and not having a solid foundation of family with me as a success. I mean, some people do look at that as success and you know what, for them it might be and it, that might work, but the older I get, the more I would say I, I realize that how how important uh, having those solid relationships are, not just the immediate ones that are day-to-day that you're under the same roof, um, those are really especially important, but it's also the ones that are also close, you know, that are in that kind of like not in that inner circle, but that outer inner circle that are still very close but aren't like your partner or your kids or whatever. Because those are the those are the foundational things that I believe make all of us better. Because there's you know that old cliche and I don't want to be cheesy, but the strength in numbers or the strength of having a solid partner too can get way more done than one and they can accomplish and reach more people in whatever they want to do than than one person can
1: yeah and and thank you for being so transparent and honest i truly appreciate that and i mean one thing that i've learned on this podcast is that the the most successful people that i meet and that they have gone through so much and they are willing to look at themselves and make changes and that's okay because we it's some people say I'm too old to change. I'm too young to do this. It's when you choose and when you are ready. But the sooner you take responsibility for who you are, uh, instead of blaming others, that's when you can become free and and actually, you know, change who you are. Exactly. And, yeah. Very well you know, said. Very well said. Yeah. I mean, Tony, I I, I think about one thing that I, that I wanted to to ask you as well. And when it comes to you know success and happiness do you do you think those two are the same um, when it comes to what and success and happiness are those aligned or are those two different things well that's a great question I think
0: I think if I think it's how that person defines success yeah. I, I believe that there is a tie between I believe that there is a tie between them, but I also believe you can be very happy and joyous and and serene and at peace without having someone else's definition of what success is. Because that person that is say, like let's use an extreme example of a monk in the Tibetan Himalayas that may be their like that's success to them cuz they're doing it right so they might look at western society and they they probably don't because of how they what they believe in and how they think but it's very easy but they are human so we have to take that into consideration they are human so there has to be thoughts that go through well, Western society is really convoluted itself and is, you know, gone astray. And like right now is a perfect example of America. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what side you vote for. It doesn't matter what side you believe in. It doesn't matter. It's, it's a train wreck right now. And I think it's a very painful one for a lot of people. And... In some cases, I believe it's no different than going through the train wreck of football. It's it's a necessary evil. It's one of those things that if things are going to change, there's going to be pain, probably. And and that doesn't mean that there has to be more pain, because there's been a lot of pain already. Um, will there be? I'm leaning towards 51%, <laughs> unfortunately, although I'm an optimist. Yeah. Um I think they'll they'll there'll be discomfort until after the election and until after more is settled with the pandemic um, so it's and and again, that doesn't matter what you believe and what side you believe or or whatever uh, I believe everybody should be in, entitled to um believe and think what they want um, but you also have to abide by the rules of the country you live in. So that may sound a little hypocritical coming from a guy that took steroids <laughs> when the NCAA said don't take steroids, right? So I'll call a spade a spade by calling myself that, right? It's like <laughs> who am I to say yeah. But there's the thing it's like looting and breaking into stores and it's like those are just violent people. They don't represent yeah. anything. They represent violence and evil. Yeah. Um so it's it's, a, it's it's been a great observation for humanity. And I imagine that psychologists and psychiatrists have loved this time of year or this time of like the world history, because when do you get to observe people like this? in one of the greatest countries in the world being affected the way it was, but we've also come back from so much. And then it's like, we take two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, three, four steps back. It's like, that's the American spirit though. We keep fighting, right? We keep fighting. I'm Canadian, but it's very, very similar, right? Um, I could never imagine dying for my country in being in the military and dying for my country voluntarily until 9-11 happened. And when 9-11 happened, even though I was in Canada and I was Canadian, I would have signed up for the military to go protect democracy and freedom you know and um and that's like removing all the politics out of it just talking about humans and human spirit and human rights and that's the first time you know that i that i was like i could see why people would go fight for their country and their freedom and that's very honorable you know, to our military and, and, um, just, just people that keep, you know, uh, civility and, and, you know, firefighters and the frontline workers and, and all that stuff. It's, that's not an easy job right now, especially police officers, not an easy job, you know, uh, you know, there's bad apples in every job. You know that doesn't mean that the blanket of of everybody should be bad, but there has to be change. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, Tony, uh, our beautiful conversation is coming to an e- to an end, and uh, just have a final question for you before I let you go. I know you got to take your dog out. i yeah. be <laughs> very anxious. I'm going out. <laughs> so, what's the you know, what do you want to say to people like with big dreams, big hopes, you know, that are maybe down on their luck right now? You know, it's, I wish I could say something original.
0: Um, What I will say is they, everybody's heard before in, in one way of wording something or another, you know, don't give up right before, you know, you hit, you know, gold or don't, quit right before the victory or whatever. It's the best, like the best part about being in the hardest times, whether it's an individual or whether it's a country or whatever it is, it's like the one phrase you don't want to say is it can't get worse because it can, right? (laughs) But the upside is greater. So the amount of greatness that's waiting for everybody for things to happen is huge. It's just that we're going through unfun times right now. So on an individual basis that everybody can self-evaluate themselves by themselves is what matters most. And this includes you and it includes me is what am I doing today right now? Am I making, am I adding stuff into the world and into the stream of life that is helping people or am I sucking it out of the stream of life and taking from people? Because that's a question only a person can answer to themselves, looking at themselves in the mirror. And if if you hesitate on the answer, you're probably not packing stuff into the stream of life. You're not packing love, good stuff.
1: Love that, yeah. Tony Mandaric, uh, you know, I've waited a long time, but this was very, 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 you know, amazing, and it was much more interesting than I could ever imagine. So I truly appreciate you and your time, and you know, talking so open heartedly about your life. It's, uh, it's, it takes strength, and you know coming from an 11 year old kid with a dream to actually doing it, I think that that is an amazing feat. You know, myself, I never became a world champion. I came close. So that could be seen as a failure, like a big failure, but how do I see it? You know, I see it as a big success because (laughs) I was this little kid that couldn't do shit, you know? So we have to look out and I, I want to tell that to everybody that's listening right now, even if life did not happen exactly like you imagined, you know, look at where you started and where you are today and and, and take a step back and, and kind of see like, okay, I learned some things along the way. Of course I could have done something better. could have been worse too. What did I learn and how am I going to implement that in my life tomorrow? Uh, because as we see people who, with lots of success they also have lots of pain in their lives that have to experience to make the changes and become better Uh, and tony if people want to connect with you listen to your podcast this will come out in a couple of weeks so probably your podcast is out how can they find you my podcast will be at
0: one man's ethos.com um and and i have an instagram that is one man's ethos and one is spelled out o-n-e um Or they could just Google my name, uh, or they go to TonyMandridge.com, which is my photography portfolio, and I'll have even a link on there to the podcast. And, 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 you know, the podcast is more or less about, you know, in general, it's about outliers, people that do extraordinary things, whether they're known by society or not known, depending on what their, um, you know, activity is. Because there's more great people that we have no idea what their names are than there are people that we do know. Because, I mean, just because of media, right? So they're basically people that I find fascinating and that make me go, "Why? When? When did you make the decision? Why did you make the decision? Why did you continue when you, you know, when it was difficult?" And that, and it'll be everything from sports to. Um, entrepreneurs to uh, bodybuilders, everything in between. Uh, It'll be like, there's no, there's no, like it could only be in this one kind of niche. It's about how people overcame great adversities. And it could be, I don't care if it's a soccer mom or if it's Michael Jordan. And I don't think Michael Jordan do my podcast anyway, (laughs) because I know, (laughs) but it's like, you know, he's, he's my favorite athlete he's my favorite yeah. athlete of all time and um,
1: you should have him on your vision board as the dream guest you know
0: yeah that's a that's a great idea i'm glad you said that because now it'll happen because yeah. when we get off this podcast i'm going to put that on paper and then i know it's going to happen because he is hey has he been a perfect human being no name me one that has yeah <laughs> that it, the, name me somebody that has had no success or has not lived what people think is, are successful and not made mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. It's just that in sport, it gets lived out on the front page, in politics on the front page, if you're a well-known doctor on the front page, all that stuff. So everybody's, like my pain is no greater pain than somebody who never made the front page and is, 18 years old and lives in a small town in Nebraska. Pain is pain. Emotional pain is emotional pain. I'm sorry. It's like, I don't have this advantage of having more pain, right? Or or this advantage of having less pain. Pain is pain. And um, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Pain is pain. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Tony. And thank you, everybody that are still here listening to this incredible conversation. We... We do this for free because we want you to take action in your own lives. Sometimes I wish I could have people paying like a thousand dollars to listen to this because it's worth even more, like it's worth so much. The only thing I ask for you is to, you know, share this with somebody that needs to hear this message that can learn from this, you know, give us a review, check us out. There's a whole bunch of amazing conversations, you know it's easy. And I want to hear from you. If you have a goal, a dream, you're struggling with something, reach out to me. If you're a little bit handy on the internet, you'll find me fairly easy. easy. And I mean, that's it. Thank you guys. And I'll talk to you next week. It was a privilege to be on. Thanks for having me, Peter. Thank you so much, Tony.